I know leaders that are, are so trusted and valued by the people that report to them that even to the point when they have to fire them, they're thanked. Because yeah. it wasn't an arbitrary thing. Here's why we have to let you go. Conversations leading up to that and a lot of chances to get it right. And, and where the, the employee would thank them because they agreed <laughs> that this wasn't the right job for them. Yeah. And, and thank you for uh, helping me get to uh, a job that I can better do. A question asked courageously, answered honestly, and lived authentically can change your whole life. For me, that question was, how can I use what I have, what I love, and what I know to bless the lives of others? The School for Good Living and this podcast are one answer to that question. Hi, I'm Brian Miller. I know that the world can work for everyone, but that it won't until it works for you. I've created this to help you make the difference you were born to make. It's a series of conversations with thought leaders who are moving humanity forward. And in each episode, I explore their lives and the work they do. I also ask them to break down how they've gotten their books written, published, and read. This podcast is all about exploring the magic and mystery and sometimes the misery of the creative process. So if you have a mission, a message, and a motivation to share it, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the School for Good Living. Today, my guest is Dr. Bob Nelson. Bob is the world's leading authority on employee recognition, motivation, and engagement. Bob has sold more than 5 million books on these topics. His best-selling book, 1001 Ways to Reward Employees, is a compendium, don't get to use that word very often, of ways to recognize, acknowledge, celebrate employees. Bob has consulted with 80% of the Fortune 500 companies, these big companies we all know, like American Express, Costco, Disney, IBM, Microsoft, and on and on. Bob is a longtime collaborator and confidant of Dr. Ken Blanchard, the co-author of The One Minute Manager. Bob has sold over 5 million books on management, employee motivation, and engagement. His books have been translated into more than 30 languages. In 2019, he was recognized as a top 20 global management guru by Global Gurus. In this conversation, we talk about what it was like for Bob to learn directly from Peter Drucker, with whom he did his PhD work. Peter, if you don't know, is the father of modern management. He's the one who coined the term knowledge worker. Bob shares some of his experiences and lessons from Peter. In this conversation, we explore, as you would expect, a few ideas to recognize employees, what it really means, how we can do it, what is required to create a great workplace culture. We talk about why accountability matters. Bob shares an approach to giving feedback effectively. He also shares how to effectively acknowledge those that we work with, those we lead, or maybe those who lead us. We also talk about the definition of management and a few insights to be an effective manager. I asked Bob to break down in great detail some of the strategies and tactics that he has used to sell those 5 million books. As we know, books don't sell themselves. As much as we like to think we write a great book, put it out into the world, people receive it, love it, share it with their friends. What's that saying that all things exceptional are as difficult as they are rare? And I think that's the case here. So Bob shares from his, man, probably 40 plus years of writing and selling books, including how he shifted, how, when, and why he shifted in his thinking from simply being a writer to being a promoter and the difference that that has had in his life and the reach and impact that he's had on those who work in business around the world. The final thing that I'll share with you here is we talk about how he's been able to sustain motivation himself to be such a prolific creator and seller. He asks, what is really burning in your soul? What is it that you want to share? And connecting with that, knowing that the energy you have around that is not only what's going to sustain you as you write, but as you take your work to market and share it with people in the, the real world. So with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Bob Nelson, who you can find at drbobnelson.com or Dr. Bob Nelson on LinkedIn. Bob, welcome to the School for Good Living. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have this conversation today. But Bob, I want to start with this question, what's life about? <laughs> what's life about? Well, that's a pretty, pretty big question. I guess plant a tree, have a kid, and write a book. That's one <laughs> <laughs> one st 
stated purpose in life. I read once. But that's kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I have a definitive answer there. To me, it's about constantly exploring, constantly stretching, constantly moving forward. Some of the things that come to mind. I will accept that answer. No, that's fantastic. As far as I can tell, there is no wrong answer. So that's that's great. <laughs> Thank you. So let me go back for a moment to your childhood and ask if you're willing to share a story about your father that I understand he was an Air Force pilot. He was. He was a career Air Force officer, and he fought in three wars, and we had a military life. We moved around every three or four years. And he was gone a lot for six months at a time. I was in one point in Vietnam for 18 months. Wow. World War II, he was, uh, did 52 missions, was uh, part of low-level bombing raids on Romanian oil fields to cut off oil supply to the Nazis. And two of every three people on, on those missions died. And is he still alive today? He has passed now, but he, he lived through the war, which, which amazed him, surprised him. Wow. He couldn't believe he was still alive when it was over and had a big influence on, on him. Yeah, that's amazing. I came across a story where he announced to his squadron that he was having a child. He was having you. But it sounded like he maybe just kind of made it in a cursory fashion, and his commanding officer called him back up front and asked him to share that a little more boldly. Do I have that right? And will you will you share with me that? You, you do, actually. Well, I, I obviously wasn't on the scene, but I've, I heard the story and I thought it was very ironic because my career came to focus on the topic of recognition and how to do it right and best. And and as you as you said, he he was actually flying in the air when I was born. <laughs> and as in the ceremony of their squadron, they would highlight milestones and, and one of them was births of, of children and and his commanding officer or or his, his immediate officer called him up and and said here here's a I think it was a tin cup a little silver cup they gave for newborns. Here's a here's a cup for you for your, your kid that was born and that was it and and there was a visiting general who stopped the proceedings and said that's not how you do recognition. <laughs> and, and, he, and he did it. He gave a whole context. He said, you know, a lot of times with the, the commitment we make in our, in our careers, to our country, to our service, that we're, we miss uh, highlights of our, of our personal lives. And one of those is the birth of our children. And we all want, want you to know that we're all a part of that and wish you the best with it. And, and gave it a much more larger context that I think it deserved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. One of the two biggest days of your life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, I find that ironic that later on that that was the area that I'd be focusing on the most to help show people how to give context and meaning and at special moments and, and how to catch, catch them doing those things as much as possible. Yeah, I love that. How old were you when you first remember that story? <laughs> well, I, I didn't hear about that until much later. I think it probably, gosh, I maybe didn't hear about it until after, you know, I got into doing this. And, and my dad told me later in, in life, maybe even after college for that matter. So it wasn't one I, I grew up with. And like I said, a lot of times he wasn't around. In fact, at one, one point when, when he was away, we lived at a on a military base that had 2,700 families and no men on base. Wow. All, they're all, all serving. So the only, only men on base were the base chaplain and the base commander. And you, you didn't want to see them because when you saw them, it was bad news. <laughs> Limo would drive up to your house and you just lost your dad, you know. Oh, yeah. That's, that sounds like that must have been an incredible upbringing. I, I thought you were talking about it was because you kind of got called to the principal's office. Maybe you were up to mischief, all these kids and no adult males there to supervise. And, but yeah, I hadn't even thought about for sure you don't want, you don't want a visit from, from a chaplain. Well, everyone, everyone we knew were, were, were going through the same thing. So it, was, it sounds unusual to talk about it now, but that's all the life we knew. And in fact, the only life we knew was moving every 
three or four years and everyone we knew was doing the same thing. So I think as a kid, it caused you to mature faster, to have your wits about you. We, we would move into a, a new neighborhood and I go knock on people's doors and say, hey, do you have any kids my age? <laughs> it's going to be a long summer. I'm looking for someone to, to do stuff with. And, and so you, you, you don't uh, end up being very shy when you're thrust into circumstances. Yeah. So that, that kind of, of course, helped me throughout my life because I was always quick to jump into relationships and uh, cut to the chase, you know? Mm. Well, Bob, how did you go from, from that upbringing to, I'm going to skip a lot of years, I know, but to where <laughs> you are today as the world's leading authority on employee recognition, motivation, and engagement? What was, what was the journey like from that childhood to, to being a recognized expert and the leading authority on this topic? Wow. Yeah, there's a few years in between there. I'd say in terms of pivotal points, I found out when I was in, in, in high school, I remember in an English class, teacher was passing out papers and stopped at my desk and, and raised the paper up high and said, best paper I had in five classes. And I was kind of shocked and surprised, maybe a little bit embarrassed, but I went through and I read it again, like, what, what was about it that, that impressed her so? And somehow, I, I, you know, I got a message that I had the ability to organize writing. And so that I, I didn't know that beforehand, but I, I came to learn that I had the elements that, were, that could make me a good writer. And so I held on to that one. <laughs> I didn't know how I'd use it, but I knew I would use it at some point. So in high school still, I, I got involved in uh, debate and presentation skills. And I got a little older. I joined Toastmasters and was a member of several chapters of that and actually started one. Started ch Toastmasters chapter in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I had my first job. What was your first job? I, I worked for a computer company in human resources. The first job I had was to run a international training program for supervisors, supervisory training program. Wow. Bob, that, that doesn't sound like an entry-level job. Is this after you had your MBA in organizational behavior from Berkeley? Or no, before? no, it was, it was actually before. So wow. it was... It was uh, How's that your first job? Well, I think it, it was already up and running. So I took it over and then, and then evolved to help make it better. So it, it was, it was initially started as an internship and, and I guess they, they wouldn't have given it to me if they didn't think I can handle it. So yeah, yeah. that was also instrumental because they got me into training and management. That's amazing. And then, and then from there, obviously men, you've received many awards and recognition. You got a lot more education, getting your PhD in management education at Claremont. What now was that with Peter Drucker? Yeah, he was, I took a lot of classes from him and, and he advised me on my, my doctoral work. And he was, uh, of course, that's the reason I went to that uh, program was to be able to have exposure to him and his thinking. And, and how old are you? This is in your, your mid to late 20s? That was well, after I got my MBA. So I worked for a few years in between there. Yeah, something like late 20s. Man, I'm amazed when I look back at my life and what I was doing in my 20s, I was a total knucklehead. I can, <laughs> yeah, I really admire people who know they have clarity about who they want to learn from, what they want to do. Will you share with me, I know this is a big question too, but what was it like spending time with and learning directly from Peter Drucker, the father of modern management theory? It was pretty incredible because I'd, I'd listened to all of his tapes and read most of his books. He was from the classical school of teaching. He would start with a very simple point. I thought you were going to say he threw chalk. What, what did that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's a style I hadn't seen in any other professors I ever had. That he, you know, he was a man of, of simple insights that were well, well grounded, which is a great exposure to have by itself. But he'd, he'd make a simple point and then he'd go on a, for the next hour, he'd go on a journey through his, his family were from the sciences and musicians and doctors, and he'd talk about the Spanish-American War, and he'd do analogies from surgery, and he somehow would come back to the initial point he was making. Wow. The, the classical style of teaching where he just, all life was part of the, the lesson, and, but it came back to reinforcing the initial point he was making. So he, he was brilliant in that way, and, and his writing was the same way that he'd make simple points, and they'd have them well well supported with, you know, three clear examples. And, and you're convinced, wow, he is, that sounds like it is right. And yeah. I guess I've been attracted to people that have a, 
simple, clear view of their area of, of work. And so he, he had that. And before him, I worked with Ken Blanchard, who wrote The One Minute Manager, and, and he had this clarity of thought as well. Very simple, but clear. And, and then Marshall's the same way, I find, that Marshall has this clarity of, of thought and, and you know, epiphanies and, and well-founded. And uh, whereas someone else might say, and they need for any of those people, well, that's, that's common sense, what they're saying there, that, that well, actually, <laughs> common sense often isn't common practice, Voltaire said in the 17th century. And yeah. I think that's definitely true today as well. So No, no doubt. No doubt. I've been attracted to concepts like that and to people that, that have that clarity of that simplicity of clear thought. Well, clearly it served you well as you've been and continue to be a prolific writer, a sought after thinker. I understand you've consulted with 80% of the Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. In one way, one way or another, it's kind of fun. I'm, I've just been working with the United Nations which is a, a, a wild ride. So yeah, that, I, I guess one of the things I love about my life is that every day is, you know, the phone call and you're in a new, new direction doing something even more fun than you yeah. thought was possible. So that's awesome. I've been, I've been blessed in that way. You, so there's a lot of work in there too. It doesn't, it yeah. doesn't all just fall together. You, so I'm constantly trying to reach out to people I think I can help. And it has its ebbs and flows, certainly. What does that outreach look like? Is this you read articles, you you have conversations with people? Like how so what I'm hearing, maybe you can correct me or or fill me in, but this sounds to me like you're you're actively emailing people or calling people that you think your skill set and experience might be a fit for. But will you share with me a little bit what what does that look like? How do you organize your day? How do you know who to call? How do you reach out? What do you say? Like all that. Well, it's that's evolved as well, of course, with the business circumstances. But for a long time, like, for example, I did on the topic of employee recognition, I did a eight page newsletter for I think I did 50 issues of it. That was before days of blogs and, and whatnot that I just put out a those people that were interested in hearing what I had to say and, and instantly got a lot of people that were very interested in my in that, that message, again, the simple topic of how to better acknowledge and thank people when they've done good work. Again, very common sense thing, but when, when you get into it, there's a lot more to it than the common sense notion. It starts with that, but, but there's a lot of ways to do it. And it really comes down to, on recognition, it's all around you every day. I pride myself in getting people to open their eyes to it, which is fun and exciting and usually very effective for them in the things they're trying to achieve and better motivation of their employees or better being able to attract talent and certainly to hold on to them. Yeah. Which is such a huge thing, right? I mean, where especially technology is leveling the playing field, removing barriers to entry for basically any organization, helping us gain more insights into our customers, like all these kinds of things. And, and so this one competitive advantage if there is one, is this about identifying, recruiting, retaining talent. And I don't know if it was in one of your books. I I think it was, but I know you've written so much that there was this idea that has stayed with me. Now, I know I'm not perfect at it, but it's this idea that many people will put employee recognition on their to-do list where I've heard that that's a mistake where instead it's got to be like on the top of the, the notebook itself. And, and I, I know there's maybe no silver bullet or totally simple answer. I mean, if you wrote 50 issues of eight page newsletters, that's a lot of, that's a large volume of material. But by the way, I'll just say this. I think it sounds easy in isolation, like anything is easy on a whiteboard, but in the dance of day to day customers and opportunities and competitors and da, 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 this can be something we easily overlook. But what have you found is maybe, I know, again, there's no one magic wand, but what can employees, employers rather, do when it comes to recognizing their employees that really makes a difference? Well, the idea you just gave in terms of putting it on top of your to-do list, if you're not doing it, then that's one way to help to hold yourself accountable. You know, for example, there's a president of a consulting firm in Atlanta wanted to do a better job of recognizing, and so he decided to carry five coins in his coat pocket and with the intention of each day, he would catch at least five people that were doing something that was needed to be done in his own personal observation. And then whenever he did that, he would move a coin to his 
his other pocket. So it was just a technique to hold himself accountable. Well, the first day he did it, he wanted to move five coins. He moved, he did it twice. So the second day he came back with a greater emphasis because it's, it's not happening to make that a priority. And the second day he moved five coins and day after that five coins. And after he did that for a week or two, he didn't need the coins anymore because now it became part of his habit so that he got familiar with the circumstances of, of when he can most catch people doing things right, which also, you know, for depending on the manager, it might be you've got to get closer to the, the work of the people that, that work for you and what they're doing. If you don't know what they're doing and when they've had a victory, then you can't thank them or acknowledge that success. And so it might be that you get closer to the action, the heat of the action of your own department and, and what people are working on and which then can mean, you know, it can mean having one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings if you're not doing that uh, time when you can focus on them and the things that the questions they have and the issues that are important to them, their career, uh, that type of thing. So there's a lot of, there's a, a lot of strategies to, to make it happen. A very simple one is starting meetings with some type of recognition. When I worked with Bank of America, they had over 200,000 employees and convinced them that this was an important enough topic where they needed to actually have a policy. <laughs> and they said, whenever you have a meeting, whether it's three people or 300, we're, we're asking all our leaders to, to start with some type of recognition. So it could be just a, a milestone or it could be someone finished a degree. It could be whatever, but something just to focus on the positive. ESPN, when I worked with them, I remember a manager said, whenever we start a staff meeting, we start with five things that are going well. It's kind of our first question, every, every agenda, every, every time we meet. And it's not busy work, it's they're doing it purposefully to say, if we could start with things that, that are going well, that we're having success with, it gives us the confidence and the momentum that now we can take on the next problem we have, the next obstacle. What's not going well? Well, we've just kind of buffered ourselves and, and reinforced our, our attitude that we can make it happen. And, and he said sometimes, you know, it's usually pretty easy because a lot of things are going well, but sometimes it's not. When it's, when it's not easy to, to name five things that are going well, they, they don't skip it. They, they dig in harder to say, well, come on, because that's, that's their homeroom, their foundation, their touchstone that allows them to take on next things. So that, those are, those are uh, again, simple strategies yeah. that you capture enough of those and then it becomes part of your own behavioral repertoire, I call it, of, of how you do things. So when you're in the hallway, you say something or you're always kind of on the lookout for this topic. Yeah. Or just give you, give you one more, I travel in, in examples and real practices, and that's what I capture and, and, and share with others that I worked with last fall with NASA, Johnson Space Systems in Houston, and they're actually ranked best place to work in federal government. So your federal <laughs> government has 2.3 million employees, and this is the best place to work. Well, well, that's that's saying something, and and it didn't come as any surprise. I, you know, you could feel it walking into the building. You could hear it in the conversations and the excitement. You could see it on the walls. It's not a mystery when you once you have it. It's a mystery if you don't have it as to how to get there. Yeah. <laughs> but once you have it, it's it's there and it's reinforcing. It sustains itself, and and so how does it sustain it? Well, one of the things they do there that I saw and learned is that whenever they get a group of their leaders together. They always save 10 minutes at the end of the meeting to go around the room to ask everyone to share one thing they've done to recognize someone on their staff since we last have been together. That's a very, very straightforward thing, but they learned that every time they did that, they could just feel the pride and surge and the energy surge in the group itself. And they said they noticed something else that their leaders will take notes on each other's ideas. That's a great one, Jerry. I'm going to try that. And so in doing that, they become a self-learning organization where they're learning from each other on these concepts that they decide they wanted to be better at. And so, wow, now it's all falling together. So it's kind of cool to get people to say, hey, you could do this. You could, you could do any of these things. You can't, it's not a mystery. You just got to start somewhere. You got to head in this direction and get better and better at it. And I know it, for somebody who's written you know, books like 1,501 Ways to Reward Employees, that, that to share you know, anything is again, there's probably not one simple thing, but what you're talking about, what I'm hearing in it is the intentionality 
that every one of these organizations, they, they made it deliberate. They were consistent about it. It wasn't like the flavor of the day or the fad. But why is it so hard? Well, as they go one step further, that they do that, they put the ideas forth and they try things. But the other thing, the people that, that, are, that are committed to doing this say, no, we want to be a best place to work. We want to be a place where people, they brag about, where we get people coming there that they want to be here. And so a key, key point that has to be in the mix is accountability. You get to the point where you say, this is, this is what we stand for. This, and now as we have people join us and we, we train them and to do this, we're going to hold them accountable as well, that we're going to help them do this. So, you, so for example, Disney. Disney was part of my doctoral work on this topic. This drives all of Disney's success. They hire to the principals. Hire leaders that they think will be good at leading, <laughs> at thanking people, catching them doing things right, helping talk about their future, giving them feedback, getting to know them. Those are peoples for Disney. And so they, they, they try to hire to that. And then even though they hire to it, they, they then train to it. They put people through a training where it talks about the importance of those things. And then they evaluate to it on their performance appraisals for their leaders. One of the dimensions out of just like five is, are you a good people leader? They don't say that's a fuzzy thing. No, 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 we want, are you good? What do your people say you're good at this? Do you, are you doing these things? Can you point to them? Can you give us examples? And, and that's part of the evaluation that affects their, their pay. And so, you know, in so many organizations I'm in, management is lumpy, I call it. It's very uneven. Mm-hmm. If you've got a great manager, you, you love your job, 3%, you know, and, and everyone else kind of, their manager's a micromanager or a jerk or doesn't care about them or any, any version. It doesn't matter, and it's not happening there for them. And, and so you can't have an organization where this is what we stand for, this is what we believe, and then allow managers to manage anywhere like it because a lot of managers will manage on where they learn management from the first manager they had 20 years ago left yeah. an imprint on them and that used to yell at them they're going to yell at people or i had yeah. i remember my first manager i had i came back from a business trip and i had my expense report and he called me his office and and he, he what's this this expense here and i was all defensive and <laughs> But he, he was sending me a message that we, we pay attention to this. It's not whatever you want to spend money on. It's got to be reasonable, actual and reasonable, which is, of course, fair. But wouldn't you know, but the act that he focused on that, when I then became a manager, I remember doing the same thing with an employee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's this expense here? You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm thinking through that same thing where I do things I've learned from people who've managed me 100%. Yeah. yeah, how can, how else, that's totally how we operate. We, we have a role model for that. And so unless there's some, we broke that, that role model and we said, and here's some training on what the best managers do. Or, or for example, it's not hard to get to that point. Like a, a great activity that works in, in, in a train situation is to just have a group say, hey, we do ideal boss, ideal boss exercise. Why don't you brainstorm, everyone think, you know, maybe do it on by yourself, best manager you ever had, and the worst manager you ever had, and what each of those people did. And then we're, then we're going to talk about as a group, and we list those, the things of the best managers and the poor managers. And it's always the same stuff that comes up. You know, the, the poor manager was a micromanager. He didn't trust me, didn't care about me, didn't get to know me, would make undemanding requests, and, and if instead of helping me, would take the assignment back and do it himself say, I knew I couldn't count on you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's a, a bad boss. Now, what's a good boss do? Well, good boss took time to explain things, took time to get to know me, sincerely interested in my personal life and interested in my development and my, my career uh, with the organization or, or otherwise, and then showed systematically in their behaviors that those weren't just lip service, that it really did, were concerned and interested in me. And, and so it's, it's, not, it's not hard to get to that, that clarity and then say, well, how can we do more of this and less of this? If you're not getting that behavior in the organization you're in, then there's reasons why that is, you know, and then you've got you've to fix those reasons. So you've got to take it on. You know, I, I've got, mm, when I talk about a negative example, I don't, I don't use the company's names because there's no glory in that. Just, just the, when they're positive, I'm working uh, with an organization where they have, you know, the feedback from 
manages is, well, I don't want to tell someone they did a good job because if I do that two or three, four times, they're going to want a raise and I don't have the ability to give them a raise and certainly not to give them a promotion. So I don't even want to start. I don't want to head there. So I'm not going to tell them ever they did a good job. <laughs> I'm going to focus on what they didn't do because then I, I can be justified not giving them a raise. Which there is some kind of logic to that. I mean, yes, there I, is. I could hear why someone might think that was a reasonable thing to do. Or, or you have a set pool. You know, you've got, yeah. we've got, our, we've got our, our, our raise budget is 4% of payroll. So that means I can give someone 6%, but I've got to take it away from someone else and give mm. them 2%. So for a lot of managers, they go, well, I don't want to do that because then they're going to be upset. And so let me just give everyone 4%. We'll call it a day. And then if someone complains, I'll say, well, you know, it's not me. It's the company it won't give me the the, the budget to pay you guys what I think you deserve. And a lot of managers will blame the company instead of owning up to it. And, and they are part of management and say, and actually step up to the plate and be a, a manager that, that is skilled at differentiating performance. And that's messy for a lot of people because you've got to be a manager that's willing to go to bat for someone that is doing a great job. And then you've got to also, when someone's not doing a good job, say, well, no, I'm not giving you an increase. Well, everyone gets 4%. No, well, you're not getting 4% because you didn't do the things that we talked about. And ideally, that's not a surprise. Maybe you do a run-up three months before the review, and you talk to him, you say, you know, I, I got to tell you, you're, you're not doing the job that we need to have you do. And try to focus, try to coach them, get them in that space. But sometimes with some employees, eh, they don't take it seriously. And, and so you have to up the ante. Always start with the positive, but if the positive is not working, you got to drill down on the negative consequences. And I've had employees where I said, you got a review coming up in three months. Unless this behavior changes, unless we start doing the results that we need to get from your job, you won't be gaining an increase. I've had employees that, at that point say, what exactly do you want me to do? Or, you know, that they, I told them before, but they, they, they didn't care, they didn't listen. And now they, they do care and they are listening. And, and if you do that, and in my experience, by the time you get to that review time, they will have turned around their behavior or they will have quit. You know, they'll go to HR and say, well, this, this manager is unreasonable. He's making demands on me that no one could do, whatever it might be. They quit. Well, either way, you got your problem solved. Because yeah. the person wasn't working out in that job. There's a lot of people that get comfortable in the job they're in uh, if there's no consequences, no no negative consequences. So you, so that's that's those are the tools of a, any manager. You got to use the extremes. Sitting in the middle is not management. That's that's abdicating. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need managers to, to just fill the position and say, yeah, whatever you guys want to do, go. <laughs> that's great. Just don't bother me. That's not a manager. Yeah, that's, that's not that's not management. Yeah. But there's a lot of managers. That's the way they manage. Yeah, that, that's definitely that's my experience. And where I thought you were going to go or maybe something else you see or hear is what do you say to people who will say, well, somebody like one of my employees isn't performing satisfactorily or to the level I want. And I don't want to send a, a mixed message. I don't want to, I don't want to acknowledge them for the good that is there when overall their performance isn't where I want it to be. Well, that, that would be the case for almost any employee. I think that we all have things to work on. I would say that you start with the, the positive so that they know that you're actually on their side. Mm -hmm. And if you have built in enough of that, then you have a strong relationship. You know, Dr. Covey used to talk about this and about human relations bank account. You got to make deposits <laughs> before you can make withdrawals. So it starts with telling, showing people how, you, how you're glad they're here. You're excited about working with them the reasons that they hired them and the thing we're looking forward to doing. So you, you make the, you make a safe environment where they, they realize that you're on their side. Now, if you get that going, then at the point where you've got feedback for them as to, as to something they're not doing well or something they could do better, it's a stronger context to come from. And you can even, even say, you can have a disclaimer and say, Hey, I want to give you, you I'm really glad you're here. You've been doing a great job. I, I, I want to give you some feedback on some, I thought it might help you do a better job on some of the things I'm not seeing. And, but I don't know you that well. And so I'm not sure how you'd take that. I'm kind of hesitant. I wanted to give you this feedback. I don't know anyone that wouldn't say, no, no, I want to hear the feedback. Yeah. And so you, you've just asked 
for permission. Yeah. Just, just as in Dylan asked me, can I, can you give me permission to take over your computer to set the sound? It's the same thing. Can you give me permission to give you feedback that I think can help you? And you already know that I'm on your side. Well, there's not a person that wouldn't say, no, I, I, please, I want that feedback and I want to understand it. And thank you so much for thinking of me. Feedback's a gift. You know, that's a good yeah. thing. Doesn't always feel like it, but, <laughs> but I think you're right. You could do that. Well, I, I know, I know leaders that are, are so trusted and valued by the people that report to them that even to the point when they have to fire them, they're thanked because yeah. it wasn't an arbitrary thing. Here's why we have to let you go. Conversations leading up to that and a lot of chances to get it right and, and where the, the employee would thank them because they agreed <laughs> that this wasn't the right job for them. Yeah. And, and thank you for uh, helping me get to a job that I can better do or, or yeah. when I feel more comfortable. Well, I think we all... I think we all appreciate people who are authentic, people who are honest, people who are just straight up with us, even if we don't agree to know where someone stands and what they want and what they truly believe. So I, I can see why some employees would think a manager, even in a termination situation. Absolutely. Let me shift to ask you this question. How do you keep this kind of recognition when it becomes a like a part of a culture or part of a team, part of a relationship from becoming an expectation or like wallpaper that, okay, the meeting's starting, we're going to go around and acknowledge one thing from each person or the meeting's ending. Like, how do you keep it so that it doesn't just become like, you know, like wallpaper? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And when I get uh, off and it's like, well, if I start praising people, then I've got to keep praising them. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's actually true. <laughs> now, you're, not, you're not praising for the same things. You're, you're pra- you know, it's got to be sincere. It's real, and, which can be a tough thing to teach people. But the sincerity comes from specifics. If you tell someone they did a good job, how did you come to that conclusion? What's your evidence they did a good job? Is there a letter from the client? Is there the, looking reviewing the budget? They're under budget. Is it they submitted ideas to help improve things? So there's got what's your evidence that you can't just say, "Oh, you're doing a great job." Everyone's doing a great job, unless you hear otherwise. You're doing a great job. That that's 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 unreal. So when you call out the performance, use your your justification or your evidence that you saw firsthand, ideally, maybe you could have heard things from other people as well. Yeah. No, I love, I love that. Sincere. It doesn't get old. Now, yeah. if, you, if you're just going through the ends and, and saying, and a lot of managers do that, say, everyone's doing a great job. If I, unless you hear otherwise, you know, well, that doesn't cut it because everyone's not doing a great job. Some people are doing a great job and you're not noticing that. Yeah. And now you're, you're, you're lumping, you know, John and Gary and, and they barely show up to work. <laughs> And you just gave them the feedback. If you give this half-hearted feedback to everyone, how that feels fair, then people see through that. And the people see through it the most are the people that are really making things happen. So, again, being a manager leader isn't sitting on the fence. You've got to... You've got to stand up for those performers, acknowledge them. And by the way, it's not just thanking them. It's also giving them the resources they can do a better job. Yeah. You know, so it's how can I help you? What, what you know, and I, I remember, I remember ta- interviewing an engineer at a company. He goes, he, he <laughs> his department manager at a department meeting had him stand up and said, no, Tony's our employee of the month and here's a plaque and he gave it to Tony and, and everyone applauded and way to go, Tony. And, and afterwards he went to see his manager and said, I know your intentions were well, but this plaque doesn't do much for me. If you really want to want to thank me for doing a good job, can I get that software upgrade I've been asking for for two months <laughs> so I could do a better job for you? Just give me the tools to do a better job and I'm going to be perfectly happy. Yeah. You know, I, I was working in the, I was doing a focus group in a warehouse environment and you know, what, what does warehouse people, people need to, to do a better job. And it was, it was humorous because they, they would, uh, they'd tell me how they would rush to work to get there because if they got the bad label gun, their, their whole day is going to be held because it doesn't work. You know? <laughs> so everything's going to take two or three times as long. So they rush to work to get the, one of the ones that, that works. You know? So just having the right goal is going to be helpful. And then, and then and as we got into it, you know, the idea of if you were a top performer, 
that maybe you could have your own label gun no one else could have. It'll be, it's going to be a, a gold label gun and your name's going to be on it. That was really cool. You know, they were excited about that. So sometimes it's not, it's not that hard. We have to think, well, we've got to bring, do this big party, do it at the end of the year. No, no, during the, during, along the way, you got to find the things that will, that will show people and those people that are doing a good job or, or they had problems with, with, you know, shelving would, would break and, 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 you know, and they just all of a sudden spend an hour trying to fix a shelf. That's not their job. You know, can we do the maintenance that's necessary so that we can do the job that you're hired us for? So a lot of times if you get into it, you know, a man, a well-intentioned manager got into those issues, they'd prioritize those things that the people said, these are our biggest obstacles. And then the manager could focus on something they can't and get the resources of the people or the priority to get the, the things fixed yeah. so they can get the job done. That's now, now you're being a manager you're 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 not just <laughs> you're not just in the role but you're actually making things happen that can make them more effective drucker drucker defined management is getting work done through others getting work through very simple again very simple getting work done through others <laughs> that a lot of managers when they get a job as a manager they want to prove that they were the a good decision. You made a good decision in selecting me. I'm going to prove I'm a good manager. I'm going to do that by being a super worker, essentially that they, they, they want to prove you you got the right person. So I'm going to be an expert on everything in my department. I'm going to be all over people micromanaging. And when they did something wrong, I'm going to tell them they get to fix it. And I'm going to, you know, be on them like, like white on rice. And that's again, in their efforts to be a good manager and, and to be excited about doing that, they end up suffocating people and, and, or, or, be, or, or, or focus on being the smartest person in the room. If I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm a super, you know, then, then you, you got the right person because that's why I'm, I'm leading you people because I'm smarter than you. Uh, that's not going to work, you know. No. And so it's, it's getting them to, to back off that and say, we didn't hire you to be a super worker and to find everyone doing things wrong and to fix it for them and, and to constantly confirm that people are no good and I've got to do things myself. You're going to fail. Yeah. That's, that's a recipe for, for frustration for everybody. And they're getting their resume ready with the first thing that you took back and yeah. you know, you're not showing you're on their side. Now, instead, instead of that, you know, having to prove yourself on the arbitrary way, instead, why don't you do this? Why don't you, as a, as a new manager, interview every person working for you and just ask, I'm just trying to find out more about your job and, and what it would take for you to, to do a better job at what you're doing, how I can help you, and, then, and hear what the group says, and then you know, prioritize that, and then maybe go take the top one where people said, well, this, this, whatever, this investment in this equipment, whatever it might be, it would really, boy, we really need this. We've been asking it for years. And maybe take that top one and go to your manager and say, look, you put me in this job. <laughs> you got to support me here. Now, when I'm asking for something and, and I, we really need this in our team, uh, okay, you can do it. And, yeah. and now, you, now you just showed a victory <laughs> and they're going, this is the right person for the job. They yeah. can make stuff happen that we can't. They, they assessed the situation, they prioritized, they took the top one and they shook the tree and they made something happen that no one before them was able to make happen. This is a great manager. I'm so, I feel so blessed to be working with them. Wow, <laughs> a whole new world opens up. Yeah. And I, I love what you're saying, something I'd never connected before that I'm hearing and what you're saying now is that this is a form of recognition, right? When you're listening to people, you're aware of what their experience is. <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> you're acknowledging that. And every one of us wants to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be understood and appreciated. So what better way? I mean, I love that story of the engineer who gets a plaque. But then he's like, look, if you really want to recognize me or help me, give me that software. And on that topic, I think we probably have, there is, I think there is a disconnect between what managers and owners and leaders often think matters to their employees and what employees really say matters. And it constantly changes, by the way. Motivation is a moving target. So it changes by generation or by personal needs. So you can't, one size doesn't fit all. So if, if, you're, if you're in a starting point with a lot of companies that go, oh yeah, yeah, we do recognition. We, do, we just had a holiday party. 
you know, and, and on someone's birthday, we do something and, and in the summer we do a picnic and everyone gets a, a years of service awards. Yeah, we're, we're doing recognition all the time. And I'll listen to that and other things. I say, well, you're doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, but I didn't hear recognition on the list. Recognition makes people feel special about something they did performance oriented. You're doing stuff around, around presence rather than performance. If you just recognize presence, years of, of service, birthdays, holiday parties, you will, you will end up with a culture of entitlement. <laughs> Just for showing up, people have greater expectations. And this, and this happens all the time. You know, you, you're, you know today's uh, Friday. A lot of managers, oh, you know, I'm going to do something nice for my people here. I'm going to bring in donuts here on Friday. And, oh, that was so sweet. And next Friday, it's a beautiful day out, so they bring in donuts again. I guarantee you that the third Friday, people are going to say, hey, we're the donuts. It's Donut Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Except for now, it's not good enough that there were donuts. The first time, that was a really nice gesture. Now they're saying, can we get some with the little sprinklies on them? And, and they're taking orders for bear claws and fruit fillings. And as a manager, you're going, what's wrong with this picture? I, I did something to be nice, and now it's an expectation. And probably the person probably may be paying for it out of his own pocket. And, and now I've got to do it, and no one really seems to appreciate it. I'm just getting complaints. What's wrong with this picture? And what's wrong with it is you slipped on the entitlement slope. Don't do stuff just to be nice. Do stuff to, to rally around performance that matters at the individual and group basis and organizational basis, core values, that type of thing. If you do that, now you can be a great manager. I, you know, I mentioned Ken Blanchard wrote uh, One Minute Manager. It has these little plaques and insights in it. One of them was people that feel good about themselves perform well. I remember I was driving in the car with him, and he said, Bob, we got it wrong on that one. It's not people that feel good about themselves perform well. It's people that perform well feel great about themselves. So our job as managers is to help people to be performers where they could feel great about the job they're doing. And it's a real job. It's not just flattery. And, and we're, we're mutually more successful as a team. We're more successful because we're making it happen. That's the job of managers is to get people aligned with performance that they're capable of that aligns with the organization. In fact, my, my definition that I use for, for in engagement is simply aligning personal aspirations with company objectives. If we have alignment between those two things, engagement's happening. <laughs> you know, they're going to they're going to go above and beyond a, a routine basis. They're going to be more creative. They're going to be willing to make suggestions to improve things or to or to streamline processes. It will come naturally once you really are in line with. They feel that this is a place where they can make their their personal aspirations, their career aspirations happen in this environment. I'm going to give it all I got. It sounds so easy. And when you say, Bob, I love, I, I'm really enjoying this conversation. And I, and I think, I think that you're doing exactly what I heard you say Drucker was so masterful at, which was just sharing a simple principle and then being able to, to show, you know, some specific examples of it. I've, I'm, I'm taking so many notes <laughs> as we talk. So it's, 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 and that's the, the challenge. How do you, you know, because it's, it sounds simple. That that's a big obstacle because yeah. people say, "Well, yeah, I could do that." We just said, "Yeah, I could do that." I said, "Well, I'm not. I'm not trying to challenge you. Can you do it? I already know you can do it before we even talk. I'm. I'm saying, will you do it? Yeah, ab and absolutely. What, what, how are you going to hold yourself accountable? How are you going to help others around you do it as well? You know that that's that's where it gets it gets into. I yeah. I just I just spoke for a high tech company and and trying to change this. And a, a, man, uh, a technical manager came up to me and he said, my boss told me, don't waste your time on any of this, this type of uh, silly, soft, fuzzy stuff. We got real work to do here. So, so it doesn't matter if, if the company gives this guy tools. If, they, if his boss is saying, no, that's a joke, that's silly, it's stupid, don't waste time on that then he's going to be in this bind. So even, so the company's telling me this is good to do. And I, they gave me some tools to do it. And we, I just had this training, but my boss is saying, if I catch you wasting your time on this stuff, you know, we're paying people. That's good enough. We pay them well. That's yeah. good enough. Yeah. If they're not satisfied by that, you have them come talk to me. I'll straighten them out. So you got at some point you got to actually ferret that out and, and get through to that leader and have the connection with him because he wasn't in the training and he's right. a vice president. Well, we got we to gotta have the upper management of the company lead the charge on this, which means more than just blessing the budget. They've got to actually do it in their own 
sphere of influence with their own people. So then it can trickle down as being real. So there's a lot of, a lot of elements to yeah. get into play when you get into the organization. No, no doubt. And it's part of what makes this work for me, both so fascinating and so challenging. But one thing you said, I just, I, I, this thought isn't fully formed for me. So maybe, maybe that's not worth expressing right now. But one of the things that's coming up for me is this, this feels a little bit, I'm going to save that thought. <laughs> I think it's better that I don't, I was going to make an analogy to religion here, but you know, because I think when you were saying, when we, when we institutionalize it and we recognize people for presence, not performance. And I think that there's this aim, there's a, there's a, there's a intention behind it that's meaningful, but at some point it becomes a routine, like you're saying an expectation or an entitlement. And I don't think that serves anyone. I think almost anyone who's participated in organized religion has had the experience that there are times when you're deeply moved and connected to something. And then there's times when you're just going through the motions. Yeah, well, I'd agree with you. There is a, you can look at great success by companies and there is, does end up being kind of a cultish feel to it. If you're doing this, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to praise each other. We're going to, I mean, that's treat others as you'd like to be treated. You can't get more, yeah. much more religious than that. Right. Yeah. So you look at mention Disney or Zappos or any company that's good as Hewlett Packard. Yeah. There you get into the culture of a company that they, they hold certain values strongly that, that they act against. That's a, can be a religious experience and it's and for people immersed in that that's very powerful yeah and it, it makes their life exciting so i'm not uh, i'm not calling it religious doesn't make me nervous <laughs> yeah. unless, unless we call it a cult then yeah it's, <laughs> <laughs> then it's yeah then there's dear leader involved and things but, change, but seriously yeah. go, going back to disney disney's is very clear on this stuff and i've i've met people that have have moved from where they they lived in Ohio or wherever and have moved to Orlando yeah. just to work with Disney. And they didn't have a job yet. And they, and they came in and said, I don't care what I do for you. I, I've got to work here because I, I love this organization. Yeah, I, I know, I know someone that, that did that very yeah. thing. And that's, and they could, they, I remember, uh, I, I worked with, and I did, I've done filming in Disney and stuff, tried to capture this. I remember I, I interviewed a guy called, his name was Jason Chestnut, <laughs> a real person. And he was a, a server in, in a restaurant and and there was this nursing convention being held at, at one of the properties at Disney and and they were talking about this concepts and and they were kind of skeptical and and you know and and nursing is very negative and it's very stressful and this sounds like hooey you know and, and at at lunch you know they're gonna, here they're in Disney and and they've got something going here so this this nurse supervisor turns to Jason and goes Jason, what's your job here? And, and kind of test this, this random employee. And he goes, my job is to make sure you have the, the, best time, the, the, best, the best next hour of your day when, I, when I'm taking care of you. What can I do for you? Wow. And she was kind of startled and blown away. I got to talking more from this. And this guy really believed this and, and the mission, what he was doing to touch people and, and, and impact their life. She she went back to her hospital in in Indiana, and she started. She created a Jason Chestnut Award wow. for for service, <laughs> and and it, it kind of planted the seed to say we're going to do this, and it is real, and it could be real here. And it's just a, a wonderful. And and Jason, by the way, he was a food server. Now now he's an executive at Disney, and of course, of course, why not? Yeah, you know? that's, that's because, like the Johnny Appleseed story right there. Yeah. So he, 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 does he walk the talk? He sure does. And he believes in it and it works. And now you could say, well, he's, he's brainwashed and it's a cult and yeah, well maybe it is, but it's a, it's a good cult because he's glad to be part of it. It's doing good for other people, including yeah. himself and yeah, his family. That's wonderful. Okay. So before we transition off this part of the conversation, I, I want to take the opportunity to ask you this personal question because I think you're the most qualified person I've ever met to answer this next one. Okay. Should I pay my kids for getting good grades? No, you should not. <laughs> Why not? It will it will work like a charm. It will be it will be it, it will overpower. I've known people that have done this and it, it one it will work because you get what you reward, but it, it will it, it will be a fixation and uh, and and in that in that process you'll get the re, you'll get the results. But maybe you'll you'll miss something along the way because there's there's more to it than than just money. 
you know, and then that's true at, at work too. And then this is a challenge because a lot of, a lot of CEOs would say, well, it's just money. If we can pay people a little bit better, then they'll be more motivated. And, and so if we start to lose people, let's just pay them a little bit. And that's, that's, that's classic. Someone, someone finds another job and they say, I'm, I'm leaving. I got this job, but what they offer you, we'll match it. And you know, I, I remember that that happened to me when, and I said, no, I'm not, I'm still leaving. I don't think Thanks for that offer, but you already lost me because yeah. you know because you didn't take care of me before, and we just had a review, and you didn't you didn't give me much of an increase. So you already you you already said where, where your feelings are on this topic. So now I'm going to I'm going somewhere else. So so it, yeah, the the money by itself can over overpower the other things, the, the aspects of learning, the aspects of sharing what they learn with the family, the, your your approval as a parent. On, on your interest in what they're learning and how that might apply. There, there's, you could skip all that, but there's, there's value in all that too. Yeah. If you, if you just, if you say, I'm gonna give you $50 for every A you get, your kid will get all A's <laughs> because, they, you know, but you, you might, you might do some of that and then also more take time to talk about what they're learning or, or to help them, you know, where, where, when you can on their homework or to, to make sure you show for the parent teacher conferences and, and get insight from, from people that are spending the time with your kids, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut to make it a priority, but I would not recommend it. I know people have done it. Yeah, for sure. My mom paid <laughs> me and I like to yeah. think I turned out all right. Did it <laughs> but, work? Not always. Not always. And I'd love to learn anyway. So when, when it didn't work, why not? I, the lack of interest I had in the topics or the dislike I had for the teacher was so strong that no amount of money would even mm -hmm. keep me, you know, interested. Would, would in that situation, would, if your if your mom had talked to you about, well, tell me what's, tell me why you don't like that, that teacher. And, and why do you think he acts like that? And what's maybe going on in his life and, and trying to pull back the curtain to show you why you're seeing someone that is doing things that, that, that don't, aren't motivating to you. I know maybe, maybe he's got personal problems. Maybe he's frustrated in his job. Maybe, you know, would, would that have helped? I don't, I don't know. It's, well, he's still a jerk, you know? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think at that time, probably not because although I might've appreciated her inquiry, mm -hmm. the sense that she didn't really have the power to, to make it change in any way. I was like, well, I still got to mm -hmm. go to class. Okay. Now I understand why I don't like, or what I don't like about this guy, but I'm still obligated to go. You know? or, or, or another lesson there is like, you know, in all of life, you can have times like that. You have to deal with people that, that you don't personally like. Okay. So now you're sounding like my mom for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I'm saying that there, there could be, there could be uh, that could be a, that frustration you had at that point could be a, a great life learning. Yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> because there's going to be, it's always good. You can run to people that, that have, you know, power over something that you don't and that yeah. you want something from them. And, and, and you can't just walk away from every, every time that happens, you know, yeah. it's gonna be, that's going to limit the things you're trying to do with your life. No doubt. Anyway, no doubt. I'll stop okay. being your mom. <laughs> well, stop being okay. your, your mom who I've met and think is a wonderful woman. So oh, I'll you. take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's pretty wise. <laughs> okay. So I want to turn our conversation now with your permission to the enlightening lightning round. You good with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So in this section, this is a series of 10 questions that are designed for me to ask briefly and for the most part to just stay out of the way. You're welcome to answer as long as you want. Okay. But that's the format. <laughs> okay. So question number one, please complete the following sentence with something other than a box of chocolates. Life is like a... <laughs> Life is like a, a dream. Hmm. Okay, number two. Thank you for that. And this question, I'll acknowledge I'm borrowing from Peter Thiel. I really like this question. What important truth do very few people agree with you on? That this is easy, what I talk about. I can make it sound easy, but as you've, you've called out, it quickly becomes not easy because of circumstances, history, limitations. I can still make it, even within that, I can still make it sound easy, you know, and, and I, I've, I've worked with so many organizations where, you know, it's, it's universal 
that people focus on what they can't do instead of what they can. So, so I'll say, hey, here's an idea. This label the things that we can't do. And it's because it's all really clear. Great. Within those constraints, what can you still do that relates to this topic? Oh, you know, and no matter what the constraints are, there still are things. Some, you know, kind of say, well, we're unionized, so we can't do any of the stuff you're talking about. Oh, really? Is that, <laughs> well, no wonder you're stuck. <laughs> you stuck yourself. Here's an idea. Let's invite the union to be part of the committee that talks about this topic. And now they're, they're giving direct input, and maybe we'll even use their idea. <laughs> and I've done that. And, and all of a sudden, the, the union's behind it more than anyone, you know. Et cetera, et cetera. We, we, you know, our small business. If we had money, we could do this stuff too. So really, you think that's all it is? Is, is money? Well, you've got, you have things as a small business that corporations wish they had. You've got daily visibility with your your leaders. You, you you're not rule bound by a 300 page policy manual. You could, you got flexibility. You need people to wear many hats. That's opportunity. It's opportunity to delegate, to align that with what people are interested in. You've got so much going for you that you're blocking out to say, oh, we don't have the money to do this right. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> Focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. You know? and, Beautiful. Thank you. Okay, question number three. If you were required, and I know this might be a stretch, but if you were required for the rest of your life to wear every day, to wear a t-shirt with a slogan on it or a phrase or a saying or a quote or a quip, what would the shirt say? I'm not sure if this is the one I have on the t-shirt, but I've got one on my wall here that I scrolled up there probably 15 years ago. It's still there. It's that the biggest mistake anyone can make in life is to think they work for somebody else. Mm. Well, that gets, that gets to a lot of it because you're, you're, you're in charge of your own life. You're captain of your own fleet. You, you have to make it happen. And it's so, so easy to, blame others, your circumstances, the limitations, your boss has said you couldn't do something. It's so, so easy to do that. And where does it get you? You know, if you, if you instead grab that by the, the horns and, and uh, navigate through it, you're going to be a better person for making it happen. I like it. I like it. Thank you. Question number four, what book or books other than your own, other than one of your own, have you gifted or recommended most often? Well, I'd say Norman Vincent Peale's Power of Positive Thinking would be, would be one, I would, which I had a chance to meet him and work with him once, and it was incredible because I was, I was a minor, minor player in the orbit, and yet he, was, he called me out and pulled me in. You know, that, it just blew me away. How did he do that? What, what were the circumstances? Well, he was doing. He did a book with Ken Blanchard called "The Power of Ethical Management," and I and I helped on that book. They did some presentations together. So I remember once the, that Ken and his wife were meeting with Norman and his wife, and it was just a, a private meeting. And I, you know, and it was it was in a convention setting, so it was a it was a big room. But they were they were speaking privately, and I was really in the other corner of the room, you know, <laughs> really, because it wasn't my place. And, and like a lightning rod, he goes, would you like to join us? <laughs> and damn, it, it was uh, someone to someone with that, who he was to, to focus on someone that had no, no place leaves a big mark. I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, Mr. Rogers story. He, yeah. he did that by, by a matter of course in his life that he would focus on the person and their needs. And, and regardless, he wasn't there to impress them. He was there to help every person he came across. That's, that's a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah. That, that's, that's wonderful. Well, cool. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Number five. So you travel a ton. What's one travel hack, meaning something you do when you travel or something you take with you to make your travel less painful or more enjoyable? Less painful. Well, I think you have to, you learn from traveling that you have to be very strict on certain standards. And so one is, is like time you, uh, time you leave or time you get up to get ready to, to go to the airport or, or whatever that, that th those are inflexible that you, you can, I've missed, I've missed so many flights in my, in my day 
because I thought I could kind of skirt the realities. <laughs> I remember, I missed, this is before cell phones. I remember I got off a, a plane and I, my, my next flight was across, really across the aisle and it didn't leave for an hour and a half. And there was a pay phone between those two. And I got on the pay phone and when I hung up, the flight had left a half hour ago, oh, <laughs> and I, it, I, I lost, you know, I was lost in that moment. So I, I, you have to be very, you have to focus on the the things that you're not going to budge. You're not going to be able to budge, and then, and then if you can't impact it, you know, because of a weather change, or then you can't let those things get to you either. You just roll with that. So the the things that you can impact, you make sure that you don't miss <laughs> the. Uh, the deadlines for when you're when you're there and adequately buffered so that if there's a traffic jam you still make it. So that, that's that's been a hard lesson for me to 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 learn because I've I've constantly pushing the, the boundaries on really all the time because I always got stuff to do. So the time boundary is a tough one to push. I remember yeah. my my wife once told me said just don't do the last thing that you were planning to do. And that actually was <laughs> that's actually quite helpful. Yeah, sounds like I, a pretty smart woman. I got. I always got you know five or ten things I got, I got to do, and so let me do one more before I do this, before I go. And yeah. no, no, actually, don't do that one. Yeah, that speaks then, to the the importance of prioritization <laughs> as well, right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mundane, but powerful. Despite living in an age where we have more comforts and conveniences than ever before, life isn't working for many people. Whether it's in the developed world where we're dealing with depression, anxiety, addiction, divorce, jobs we hate, relationships that don't work, or people in the developing world who don't have access to clean water or sanitation or healthcare or education, or who live in conflict zones. There's a lot of people on the planet that life isn't working very well for. If you're one of those people, I invite you to connect with me at goodliving.com. I've created Life's Best Practices Breakthrough Coaching to help you navigate the transitions that we all go through. Whether you've just graduated school, you're going through a divorce, you just got married, you're headed into retirement, you're starting a business, you just lost your job, whatever it is you're facing, I've developed a 36-week course that you go through with me and a community of achievers and seekers who are committed to improving their own lives and the lives of others. So through this online program, you will have the opportunity to go deep into every area of your life, explore life's big questions, create answers for yourself in community, get clarity and accountability. If that's something you're interested to learn about, I invite you to contact me directly at brian at briamiller.com or by visiting goodliving.com.